What gives a person the the power? Where do we find where do we find the right balance during the holidays? That's what I try to do each and every Christmas season, is to try to simply train my mind to remind myself of what these days are all about. Over the next four Sundays, <clears throat> the four Sundays of Christmas, as we focus upon what it means to think of Advent, to prepare our hearts, as we think today of doing so physically, what can we do to put ourselves in a position to really, truly celebrate Christmas? I want us to take a spin off of some something that might be familiar to many, maybe it isn't, but it's a comic strip that's been out for years called The Family Circus. It's authored by Bill Keene. He passed away recently, just within the last two or three weeks. But for many, many years, Bill created a family, a family that's in a round circle of a comic strip, not a strip, just one frame. It's in most daily papers, at least every paper I've ever read. A family that many of us have gotten to know, a family that is a lot like our own families. But the comic strip deals with every issue of life. It's a husband and a wife as they raise their young children. It's all that goes with being a part of a family. But over the years, the family circus has focused upon this season. And in looking through those, it seemed appropriate that we could learn something from a family circus Christmas. So today, I wanted us to think of one that uh, came out many, many years ago. That's our own logo for our sermon series. And Wayne Cotton, our children's minister, actually drew that himself. Say, good job, Wayne. He did good. But there's one that came out, oh, back in the 60s. You see it printed on your worship guide, and here it is on the screen. You can see the setting. The mom, the dad, the four children. One of them is in mom's arms looking at the plate glass window or through the window at the Christmas foods, Christmas gifts, and the poster of the retail store that says, let's make this the best Christmas ever. And the caption underneath it says, how are they going to top the first one? That's dad speaking. How are they going to top the first one? And I think there's all the truth in the world in just that simple statement. Understanding that our world causes us to see Christmas through a certain set of eyes, through a certain plate glass window, if you will. And the marketing behind making this the best Christmas ever probably has much to do with sales at the cash register. Christmas gifts bought and given. But the dad rightly reminds us that there really is no topping the first Christmas. So I want to ask you to read with me a portion of Scripture that generally isn't read at Christmas. It's not part of Luke 2 or Matthew 2, the stories of the birth of Jesus. But I think it has everything to do with how we view Christmas because many of us seek to reinvent it. We've turned it into something it was never intended to be. Galatians 1, 6, 7, and 8. 
I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you in the past, let that person be accursed. It's pretty strong language. Paul doesn't get that in our face too often in his 13 letters. He does every once in a while, and he certainly does in this letter to the Galatian church on more than one occasion. But to simply end a passage by saying, if anyone were to tell you something different than what we told you at the beginning, if anyone is to try to delude or to pervert the gospel of Christ, let that person be accursed. Are you, am I, guilty of seeking to reinvent Christmas? Are we trying to make it something it was never intended to be? Hang with me for just a few minutes here. I think there are some parallels. In the context of Galatians chapter 1, Paul is talking about the message of the gospel, what Craig just talked to us about and how they are sharing with a people group, with the Muslim people, the reality of Jesus. And Paul was very clear, quick to say, he's very clear, that the message he brought to the people in Galatia was the true gospel. He's talking about the facts of the gospel story. Basically, that Jesus was born, sinned not once, went to a cross and died, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, And we await his return. Those are the facts of the gospel. And Paul is talking about people's interpretation of those facts. What have they done? In the Galatian situation, people had come after Paul saying, did Paul preach to you the gospel of Jesus? And they would say, yes. And he said, well, did he tell you the whole story? Did he close it for you? Did he make sure you understand everything? Well, what do you mean? And then they begin to add. They begin to distort. They added in their day legalism that you had to practice certain Jewish rites and practices in order to be a Christian. So on one hand, being a Christian meant loving Jesus and accepting him, but you had to couple with it. You had to add to it the legalism of the Jewish faith. And Paul says, no, that is not the true gospel. That's a distortion of the real thing. That's a perversion. There is no other way other than faith alone for salvation. If anyone were to give you any other word concerning the gospel that's different than that, let that person be accursed. His word, anathema in the Greek text. A word that meant awaiting the hostility of God. Cursed. Cursed in the strongest terms he could use. Well, what does that have to do with a family standing in a plate glass window? What does that have to do with making this the best Christmas ever, and the response of one dad being, how can you improve upon the first one? It's the same, my friends. It's the fact that we seek to make Christmas more than what it was ever intended to be. And by doing so, we take the magnificent message of Jesus and we push it to the side. Here's a question for you. Was the first Christmas enough? Think about it. Was... The birth of Jesus, the first Christmas that 
the dad in the family circus was trying to teach his children, trying to reinforce by just simply taking a message on a department store window and bringing the truth home. Was the first Christmas enough? And the answer to that would be absolutely yes. We have the facts of Christmas, just like Paul talked about the facts of the gospel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And the facts of the Christmas story grow into the full gospel account of his life and his death upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The first Christmas indeed was enough. It's our interpretation of the facts of Christmas is where we get in trouble. Because just as the people in Galatia begin to change the message of Jesus into, well, it's Jesus plus this, and it's Jesus plus something else, and you've got to make sure that you keep these laws, and you've got to make sure that you've done this in order to be a Christian. <clears throat> the first Christmas was enough. It always has been. Here's another question. Have you, have I, left our first love? I hearken back to words of the very last book of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, the second chapter, there's a letter written to a congregation, the church at Ephesus, where they're asked the same question. Where a group of people who loved Jesus, who heard the gospel, who made it part of their lives, what did they do? They lost their first love. They forgot what it was really all about. And they begin to focus on other things. And they begin to major upon minor points, I guess is the way John, the writer of Revelation, would put it. They left their first love. He's hearkening all the way back to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness near Mount Sinai, when they couldn't wait for Moses to bring the law down from the mountain and deliver it to the people. And so what did they do? They created a golden calf. It was something they had to do. They wanted to be able to touch their God. They wanted to be able to feel their God. They wanted to be able to see an object of worship. And so they lost their first love. What about you and me? Have you, in the midst of trying to get ready for another Christmas season really lost the essence of what the first Christmas is all about. Don't reinvent Christmas. No matter what the world tells us, we don't have to add anything to it. It would be not only sin, but Paul would say we should be accursed if we try to reinvent Christmas. How do we know when we're trying to do that? Perhaps it's just ignorance on our part. How can we, how can we tell? Are there any signs along the way that would fill in the remaining part of this sentence? We know we've reinvented Christmas when? Well, think with me for a moment. I would say, I know and we should know that we're seeking to reinvent the Christmas that we want it to be. We're seeking to change its meaning. When what? When we confuse presence with presence. You go, wait a minute, you said the same thing. No, I didn't. We're reinventing Christmas when we confuse presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, the giving of gifts, 
with the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, of God in our lives through Christ. When we confuse those, we're reinventing Christmas. We know that we're reinventing Christmas when we focus more on receiving than we do upon giving. And you can just fill in the blank in your own life there. We're in danger of seeking to reinvent Christmas and the message of Advent. Everything is for naught. Our preparation, however fun it is or significant it might be, if we lose sight of giving being much more important and a much greater thing than receiving, then we're trying to reinvent Christmas. So what would Paul's admonition to us be based upon what he was trying to tell those people in Galatians 1? He would tell us to come back to the Christ of Christmas. He would encourage us not to reinvent the holidays. He would encourage us to look back to its true meaning and to add nothing to it, but to understand from Scripture that all we need to know about Christmas is there. Our customs, our sense of giving gifts, the colors of the season, the things we do that warm our hearts, nothing wrong with those things. Don't misunderstand me. Nothing wrong with being festive. Nothing wrong with celebrating in the way over the centuries we have come to relegate this time of year with certain practices. But if those ever become the focus, then we're reinventing Christmas. So, what can a cartoon tell us about Christmas? Well, we can't change the first one. We wouldn't want to. But what can we change? We can change our attitude. We can change our actions regarding the first Christmas. And that's good news. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here in this place, to honor you with the reading of your word, to thank you for the testimony of singing that draws us closer to you, and the opportunity to encourage and to be blessed by words of friends who serve in Indonesia. So, Father, I pray that in these moments, as we conclude this service today, that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that we would make proper preparations for this Christmas. It's in the name of Jesus we offer our prayer. Amen. We offer an invitation this morning, a time for you and me to respond because God has spoken to us. If there's any place where Advent really comes into play, it would be right now because I would say, are you prepared for this Christmas season? If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you've never stepped across that, I call it just a line of faith. That's the best way I know how to put it. To where you've made the conscious choice to say, Lord, I cannot save myself. My sin is too great. But I know that Jesus died for me upon the cross. And I ask him to forgive my sin and to fill my life and to lead me. 
That's the first step of preparation that every single one of us should make. And so I invite you that if you're here today and you've never made that choice, if you need help, we're not here to, to save you. We can't, but we can certainly, the deacons and ministers who will be standing down here in a moment to receive you can pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord, just never told anyone, never professed your faith in Him, never followed Him in believer's baptism. I'd invite you to be willing to make that choice today, to identify with Jesus in the way He commanded us to identify with Him. Not that baptism saves you because it doesn't, but it draws a picture. It's a testimony. Maybe you're here today and it's hard for you to prepare for a season like this because you don't have a place to call your own, a church where you belong. So I would simply invite you that if as a believer you're looking for that congregation, that family, that church to identify with where you can grow, that we would offer our church to you. So it might be that you would step out today and join this church. And then for many of us, it might not seem as simple as a cartoon from... 40, 50 years ago. But to simply stand there like that family did in front of a store window and to ask that question can change your life. Let's make this the best Christmas ever. Well, how do we improve upon the first one? We don't. We build upon it. That's our invitation. So whatever it is God would have you to do, however you need to adjust your life, however you need to make preparations, do so today. We stand, we sing, we wait for you here in the front. Won't you step out and respond right now?